0: Our scripture lesson today, if you'll remain standing with me, is from Genesis 25. Uh, this is the story of uh, a very grabby, uh, sort of nasty individual known as Jacob. And uh, we're going to share about that today. Let's share in God's good word. Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren, and the Lord granted his prayer. And his wife, Rebekah, conceived, the children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is to be this way, why do I live? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples born of you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The elder shall serve the younger. And when her time came to give birth, was at hand. There were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy mantle. So they named him Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand gripping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. You may be seated. You know, when I was 19, Grandpa took me on a roller coaster. Oh? Up, down, up, down, oh, what a ride. What a great story. I always wanted to go again. You know, it was just interesting to me that a ride could make me so, so frightened, so scared, so sick, so, so excited, and, and so thrilled altogether. Some didn't like it. They went on the merry-go-round. That just goes around, nothing. I like the roller coaster. You get more out of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'll be seeing you in the car. She's a very smart lady. Come on, Taylor, your ears are ready. Yeah, a minute ago I was... Really confused about life, and then grandma came in with her wonderful and affecting roller coaster story, and now everything's great again. I happen to like the roller coaster, okay? As far as I'm concerned, your grandmother is brilliant. Come on, Taylor! Come on, hurry up! Yeah, if she's so brilliant, how come she's sitting in our neighbor's car? <laughs> <laughs> Difficult people. If if I look in the mirror, uh, I look a lot like Steve Martin these days. You know, if grandma's so smart, why is she sitting in our neighbor's car? You know, have you ever gotten to that point where somebody says something sort of nice and trite and meaningful, and you're like, that's so... No. 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 Come on. That... that... Around, around where I grew, we like, that dog don't hunt. I mean, it sounds good, but that doesn't work. Difficult people. I wonder what kind of difficult person you might be. I'm sort of a Steve Martin difficult person myself, oftentimes. And, and the reason, if you haven't seen Parenthood, I recommend it to you. It is an awesome movie. It's older, um, but I love it. It's one of my favorite movies. That's one of my favorite scenes of, of all movies of all time. And, um, and I just love Steve Martin's character. And one of the things that they find out in this movie is that she's pregnant and they're not young. And so he's wondering, you know, what in the world? He panics, basically. He has high anxiety about these things. Oh, my gosh, what's it going to be like? We, you know, we're almost done with all this parenting stuff. And imagine that you find out your wife is pregnant and you're 60. And she's having twins. That's what happened to Isaac. Isaac. So if you have your sermon notes, invite you to take those out. It's in the Bible. This guy's 60 years old, and his wife's going to have twins. Imagine that. All the guys are like, no, I don't want to imagine that. No, 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 no. So if you have your sermon notes, invite you to take those out. As a way of introduction, we're in this sermon series around difficult people. Uh, Last week was difficult people at work. This week is difficult people at home. Will you all say at home with me? At home. Any of you know any difficult people at home? Don't look at your spouse. Don't do it. Don't do it right next week. I hope you'll join us because we're going to look at incivility uh, And difficult people online We're going to look at how to be uh, do e-civility That's important and the week after that uh, I know you kind of know where we're going with this. It's going to be difficult people at church right here We're going to look at how we do it together How do we live this out together and we'll look at our own civility code of how we're going to live um, Into the future in, in a godly way So if you were to poll Folks, 95% of people in America these days say that we have a civility problem. Would you agree with that? We have a civility problem. Things like please and thank you in just basic manners. Uh, writing thank you notes. Um, actually giving someone an RSVP to their child's birthday party. Right? Have you, have you done that where you've sent out the invitations and you've got none of them back and 50 people show up at your house anyway? Right? Just basic civility. Right? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm stepping on people already. Forgive me. But you know this is true in Edmund. This is just the way it is. Basic manners, basic civility, it's a problem. Many of us have forgotten how to simply be kind and civil with one another. And of course, when it comes to our home, sometimes the people we are hardest on are the people we are closest to. Isn't that true? Sometimes the things you say that you would never say to your boss, you would never say to a colleague, you would never say even to somebody at the grocery store, you wind up saying them to the people that you're closest to. And so sometimes as a way to get at this, I'll have uh, well-meaning friends say, well, you know what we need is we need a biblical view of family. We, we need a biblical view of marriage. We need a biblical view of family. So let me enlighten you on what the biblical view of family is. It's this story. And if you want to look at this story, it's from Genesis 25 to Genesis 33. There's no way for us to cover that um, in this little time segment we have here. But you can look at it at home this afternoon uh, pretty quickly. It will blow your mind. And I will submit to you that this biblical view of family is true, but it's nothing you want to be a part of. If you look at this, the, what the Bible says that families are really like. So when the boys grew up, these twins, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, living in tents. He, he was in the home. And so Esau was a hunter and Jacob tended what? The home. Could not been more different. So uh, the oldest boy, um, he might look like this. You know, he's out and about, and, and he's a tough one. Um, if you were to go to his home, his home would be decorated like this. Right? Look what I killed yesterday. Rah. You know, but don't mess with me. This is what happens to you. I'll kill you, put you on my wall. That's who Esau was. He was hairy. He was rough. He was tough. You don't mess with him. And his little brother, Jacob, man, he was a stone-cold manipulator. But he could cook. He could make you a nice meal, get you a little drunk, and steal everything you own in an hour. <laughs> right? If you go to his house... You want to go there because it looks like, sorry, that. Oh, thank you. And when you're nice and sleepy after eating your turkey, he'll steal everything you got. That's who these two boys were. And oddly, or maybe not so oddly, like most families, dad loved one, mom loved the other. Isaac loved Esau. You know, they could go hunting together. um, They could go kill stuff, put it on the wall together. And he was fond of games. He loved, you know, what, what the older brother got. He'd give it to the little brother, little brother, and mom would cook it in the kitchen. Mom loved Jacob. And so from the very beginning, it was sort of this split family. Maybe you've been a part of that family where dad and, and one of the kids does this, mom and the other kid does that, and the poor kid in the middle, you know, plays video games. But it's, you know, it's, it's one of these tough deals that happens in families, So once Jacob was cooking a stew, Esau comes in from the field, and Esau, the big hunter, was famished. He was hungry. And Esau says to Jacob, Let me eat some of that red stuff, for I am famished. So Esau is going out hunting. Any of y'all hunters? You know this? You go out early, and then you come back, and and you're not eating out in the field, right? Um, I would go hunting with my father-in-law. You go out hunting, you come back, and you are famished. Those of you who are hunters know this. So Esau comes home hungry, and Jacob, the little brother, all too happy to see him, says, "Hey, yeah, I'll give you some, but first, sell me your birthright." Now, for those of us in Edmond, Oklahoma, thousands of years later, this doesn't sound like a big deal. It's a really big deal. It's a really, really big deal, because Jacob, whose name means grabby, sees his opportunity. His brother comes in famished, and Jacob's like, "Oh, all right, here it is." He's an opportunist. If we were he he would win the apprentice right? I mean, this is a guy we would lift up in our culture. He's really smart, and he gets things done, and he, and he does it without breaking a sweat. Now, birthright is the practice where the oldest son receives a double portion of what all the younger brothers receive. Now, you remember that these are big families. You might have six, seven, eight, ten, twelve boys, and all of them are going to get part of the inheritance, but the oldest boy gets twice what everybody else gets. That's what the birthright is. And so, you know, in the early days, dad might not have a lot, but um, by the end of this story, dad's going to have quite a bit. And whoever has the birthright gets double. That's a deal. And Jacob sees his chance. And so Esau does what we all do when we're hungry. We rationalize. He says, I'm about to die. If I don't eat right now, I'm going to die. You, you've heard this, right, after soccer practice. If I don't eat right now, I'm going to die. So whatever, I'll do anything if I just need to eat right now. And he says, what's a birthright to me? And so Esau, the older brother, he trades his future, his double portion of whatever was coming his way for gratification right now. Now, none of us would ever do that. That's foolish. But I wonder how many of us have um, sort of not followed what would be best for our lives or our families so that we could just get out of the quick pain that we're in. It happens to all of us esau's like the rest of us so jacob says no 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 swear to me first i want to make sure that this deal is done so he does his older brother swears to him and he sold his birthright to his little brother jacob so that he gets twice and then jacob gave esau bread and the stew and he ate and drank and rose away and the deal was done esau had despised his birthright he gave it away you see the little brother is a say it with me a huckster he is and my question is where are the parents i mean are you kidding me this guy is giving away what will uh, equate to millions and millions of dollars, right? But they're young, and he's hungry. They're probably teenagers at this point. But mom and dad don't step in at all. It all happens, and it's all done. And so um, I like to look at memes every once in a while. I came across one the other, the other day, and this is one I want to share with you. You might tweet it out. Dance like no one is watching. Isn't that beautiful? But email like it may one day be read in a, la- in a deposition, Right? Right? The thing is, no one was there for Esau to say, dude, what are you doing? This is dumb. I know you're hungry. Go fit yourself something to eat. Do not give away a double portion of everything that may come to you. Your entire inheritance times two. Don't do that. That's dumb. Where are they? So it is, we all love the first line, right? Dance like no one is watching. Don't you love that? Just very romantic. Yes, of course we all want to do that right? Unless it's on videotape and showed on YouTube, then don't ever do that, right? But, but few people anymore are around to say to us, Hol, hold on, right? I mean, think of all the pain that you might have skipped in your life if somebody had just been there to say to you, uh, you might want to not push send on that, right? Don't, don't, don't push send on that email just yet. Don't, don't have that conversation while you're, you know, your blood pressure is still elevated. Let's, you know, where's the community, to to keep Esau and all of us safe because, friends, Grabby is out there. Always out there. There's always a Jacob ready to take from you, ready to steal from you in your moment of weakness. This is part of what the story is teaching us. And it gets better. Right after he gives away his birthright, his dad becomes stinking rich. So rich. Rich beyond their wildest imaginations. So not only has he lost what he thought wasn't a big deal, he's lost all of that And a whole lot more. The story goes like this. Isaac sowed seed in the land. The dad did. And in the same year, he reaped a hundredfold. Can you imagine investing a dollar and getting a hundred dollars back? That's a big deal. That's what's going on now. And the Lord blessed him, and the man becomes rich, and he prospered more and more until he became very wealthy, and he had possessions and flocks and herds and a great household, so that the other countries now around him, the other people, the other tribes, they envied him. And Abimelech, the king of this other area, said to Isaac, Go away from us because you've become too powerful for us. Imagine if your dad became so powerful, all the neighbors made you move away because you were making them uncomfortable. You see, Esau has lost a lot now. And so when Esau was 40 years old, time is passing here in genesis 26 he marries judith the hittite and basemath the other hittite and they made life bitter for isaac and rebecca so now we have a family system where dad loves the oldest mom loves the youngest the youngest steals from the older and and the older uh is is wanton and just really reckless with his life and now he's a polygamist as well so the next time somebody says i want biblical marriage you're like really have you read genesis because what happens next is Esau, with his wives that weren't a part of their tribe, is now just making life miserable for mom and dad. They don't like being grandparents, they don't like it at all. And the story's gonna get a little worse. Now, you may say, well, what does this have to do with difficult people? What does it have to do with me? I think we all um, are kind of biased when it comes to difficult people. Um, when I was growing up, this picture of my uh, grandmother. She was very particular about being grandmother. Um, I, as a little kid, always wanted, you know, a granny, a nana. uh, Somebody who was kind of big and fluffy and let you sit on their lap and, you know, fix your food and do all that. You know, the kind of stuff you find in storybooks. That's not grandmother. Grandmother was a size 2 with about 2% body fat from New York City. It was my mom, my dad's mom. And she... Um, In the morning, rather than making you sausage and bacon and eggs and telling you stories, she had her little Pilates mat before Pilates was a thing. She was doing Jane Fonda before Jane Fonda was doing tapes, for those of you who even know what that is, right? She could do the bar three. She could do everything. I mean, she was a size two, friends. Late in life, like in her 80s to 90s, she ballooned up to a petite four. I mean, this is a lady who was disciplined. My grandfather was a businessman. He he was a salesman. He traveled all over the country. And so she basically was a single parent. And she became shrewd with discipline and money. And I saw her about one week a year. And that was it. We'd come in and see grandmother. And when we would wake up, she would kind of wake us up. she'd like, you need to work out. You're getting chunky. Come on. Get down here with me. And and, as, and grandmother um is just... Just, and it was always grandmother. You'd be like, Granny. She's like, No. It's grandmother to you. I'm like, All right. And so when I would come to visit, it was very odd to me. She would say, You need to mow the lawn. You need to edge. You need to cut my roses. You need to fix this fence. You need to trim those trees. And, and you need to get up and out. So first thing, like before breakfast, she, these are the sorts of things you need to do. Or my older boy cousin. There were five of us grandkids. An older girl. My older boy cousin, my sister, me, my younger girl cousin. And what was interesting is as we were going through this, I found grandmother very difficult because every time I went to her, I was just free labor or cheap labor. However, for the girls, she took my oldest girl cousin to Hawaii, she took my sister on a cruise to Alaska. I mean, she was just amazing with the girls. My cousin Todd and I, we were manual labor, the boy, the boy grandkids, it was like night and day different. And I was like, this is so weird. And so one day uh, we come, and I'm almost in college, and so we, my sister and I come to visit, and my grandmother says, oh, good, good to see you. Deb, my sister, I've got all these clothes that I want you to try on. You're going to look darling in them. Mark, I have a leaky gutter that I need you to fix now because it's dripping over the front porch. And so on that day, I get all, she's, and she's gotten all the stuff for me, the ladder, um, you know, all the things i am cleaned out, and I've got this, like, tar stuff all over me, and I'm, and I'm like, tarred it up, and, I, and it's got to be set for, like, seven minutes for it, for it to work. And at the moment, you know how these stories go. I set all the tar, and at the very moment I set it, and I've got water on either end that I'm trying to keep from getting on it, My grandmother says, I want you to come see the dress that I'm giving to your sister. She wants to see what you think and try it on. And I'm holding the water back. I'm like, are you kidding me? I I can't do it. And I got a severe chewing out because of my insensitivity to my sister's needs as I was trying to fix the gutter. Now I found that very difficult um, as a young man. However... When I was in college, I w- lived in Stillwater, and I, and I worked at Channel 5 in Oklahoma City. Um, and my grandmother offered. She said, you know, you can stay with me instead of driving back and forth if you'd like. She b- didn't live far from the station. I was like, that'd be great. And I would come, and I would stay with her. It was the most beautiful time. She would call me every once in a while and say, you know, if you're going to be later than 1130 when you're coming in from the station, could you let me know? And I was like, sure. And We had the most beautiful relationship when I was in college. And at the time, I thought, you know, what's the big deal about me coming in 1130, midnight or whatever? Because I was 21, 22. Now, as a 49-year-old parent with children who were 21, coming in 1130, I get it. (laughs) I get it. I didn't get it then. I get it now. What I found was my grandmother was incredibly gracious. My grandmother was incredibly kind. She was incredibly generous in ways I had no idea. And it wasn't until I was an adult that I thought, you know, How would I travel on a cruise with a boy that I had to have a separate cabin with? It's easy with my granddaughters. We just are in the same cabin. All these things started to click for me as I got older. I was like, wow, she gave of her own income, her own things to bless these girls in ways that she could. My grandfather was absent. There was no way for her to take that spot. And so I began to see how beautiful and wonderful she was. When I was of age, she gave me this watch that was my grandfather's, which is worth every bit as much as everything she ever did for my sister. Or my cousins. And I cherish it today. How gracious and wonderful. She's not difficult, friends. I just didn't understand her. I didn't understand who she was and what she was going through and how she managed and what she had to do because I wasn't in that season yet. Does that make sense? Somebody who seems incredibly difficult at one season may seem incredibly gracious at the next. So you have to be careful about how we judge folks. She's been a great blessing in my life. Now, to be fair, When I was older and Chantel and I lived in Tulsa, she came to visit. The first thing she did was she walked in the door. Within 10 seconds, she looked at Chantel. She looked at me and she said, oh, dear, you better watch yourself or you're going to get fat like Mark. So she didn't change completely. So, I mean, there's still that. Right? So, you know, it is what it is. But she's nothing compared to these folks. Let's look at the charade that happens. When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim and he was about to die so that he could not see, he called his elder son Esau and he says to him, Hey, go out, give me something to eat. I'm about to die. I want to give you my blessing. Prepare for me the savory food such as that I like. Bring me meat to eat and I'm going to bless you before I die. And the final blessing of the firstborn son is the most powerful of all friends. So much so that once it's given, it can never be taken back. This is by far something greater even than the birthright. It's not just a double portion. It's really everything. Whoever gets the blessing of the father before he passes, normally to the eldest son, That son becomes the ruler of the family system. He is the lord of everybody else. He is the boss of the ranch. So, as the old man lies dying, blind now, mom, Rebecca, overhears. Apparently, she was used to that. She, you know, kind of always knew everybody's business. And so when this happens, she, she says Esau go out into the field to hunt game and bring it. So Rebecca said to Jacob, the one she loves, Hey, I heard your father say to your brother Esau, bring me game and prepare me this food that I may bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, she says, obey my word as I command you. I want you to go to the flock and get me two choice kids so that I may prepare them for the food for your father such as he likes. And you shall take it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. And Jacob doesn't say, Mom, you're out of your mind. That's your know, suicide. I can't do that. Jacob says to his mom, uh, Mom, um, uh, like dad's blind and uh, that's not right. And no, he says this, look, my brother Esau's hairy. I'm not. Perhaps dad's going to feel me and know that I'm mocking him and he's going to bring a curse on me. In that system, a curse of a dying father was the worst thing that could happen to you. That would be the end of you. And he says, it's not going to be a blessing. And his mother, not to be outdone, she says, oh, no, no, no! let your curse be on me. Wow. Let your curse be on me, son. I'm going to take this. Only obey me, and you go get them for me. See the power struggle going on in the family? So Rebecca took the best garments of her elder son Esau. She sneaks in the older boy's closet, takes his clothes, puts them on the younger kid, on Jacob. And she put the skins. As she slices up the goat, you know, blood everywhere, she's taking this hair, and she's putting it on her boy so that they can ruse the father on his hands and on his neck so that he'll feel like his big, strong, hairy brother. So he does the deed. He goes to Isaac and he says, my father, and he says, here I am. Who are you, my son? He's he's questioning, because here's the thing. Isaac knows that his own family is not to be trusted. And some of you know that too, in the most painful of ways. When Jacob says to his dad anyway, I'm Esau, just a flat-out lie. You'll see that not just once, but over and over again, he has opportunities to get out of this deal, and he just doesn't. He's sold out. He says, I'm Esau, and I've done as you've told me. Now sit up and eat of my game so that you may bless me. And Isaac's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. How is it that you found it so quickly? Like, I just said that, and you're already, how is this possible? And he answers, because the Lord, your God, granted me success. Now this is really instructive, friends. Have you ever been in an argument that you thought you were gonna lose, and the only thing you had left was use god's name oh hold on i think the lord's given me something you know i just felt led to do that no you just wanted to do that and you're putting jesus name on it we're not allowed to do that it's been going on for a long long time friends Because the Lord granted me success. Then Isaac says to Jacob, come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you're really my son Esau or not. So Jacob goes up to the father Isaac, feels him. He says, now this is weird. The voice is Jacob's, the hands are Esau's. I don't recognize him, but his hands were hairy like his brother's, so I'm going to bless him. And he asks him one more time. He gives him, you know, for his conscience. He says, are you really my son Esau? And he answers, I am. I am. Now, what Jacob thought was happening was he was going to be the boss. He was going to be great. He was going to be in charge, and everything was going to be awesome. But what is the result? What really happens when we do these sorts of deeds in our families or elsewhere? It results in isolation and in pain and in fear, and it breaks the family apart. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out of the room, his father Isaac Esau comes in from hunting, and he had also prepared the food, of course. And his father says, well, let me set up and eat of this son's game so you may bless me. And his father is enraged. He's like, well, who are you? And he says, well, I'm your firstborn son, Esau. And then Isaac trembles violently. I mean, he is shaking. He's like, well, who is it that just did this to me? And he heard his father's words, and he cries out. He realized that he's lost that too. He says, dad, bless me also. Bless me. And his dad says, I can't. Your brother came deceitfully. He's taken away your blessing. I, I don't have anything else to give. And Esau says, is he not rightly named Jacob, grab, because he takes away everything in my life. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And as you know, as families, sometimes there's, there's just a blessing to give. I've, I've already made him your Lord. He's your Lord now. I didn't mean to. He's deceitful. But it's done. And everything is his. All of it. So what can I do for you? Now, not surprisingly, Esau hated Jacob. He hated him, and he wanted to kill him. I'm going to kill my brother Jacob. That was, that was what was going to happen. Now, again, mom, still stirring the pot in this thing, uh, she decides that she's going to try to save the one she loves. Now, this you may not know. The story of Jacob is the story of Israel. It's a self-portrait. Now, we should really take a step back here, because many of you who are here today uh, as guests or as members, um, you've done some pretty nasty stuff. I don't know about it. You haven't told me about it, but, but people do that. And you're wondering, how in the world do we sing these songs and do these things, and how can God bless me? I don't. I mean, after everything that I've seen in my family, how messed things up, how in the world? But I want you to understand, friends, that this Jacob, the worst person in this story, are the people that God loves. It's who God loves. It's God who chooses to love. He loves you right where you are, no matter what you've done. And don't take this as a sermon on license to do what you want. That's not what it is. This is a sermon about who God is and his amazing love for all of us, for even people that we wouldn't love. For when you read the story and you go, ooh, that's, no, not him. Yes, him. So what will happen when the brothers meet? Esau intends to kill him. Jacob thinks he's going to die. So it goes like this. Jacob looked up and he sees Esau coming. Now, what you don't know is in the meantime, between these two stories, God has come and visited Jacob, and his name has been changed to Israel. Israel. And Israel means one who struggles with God. Isn't that true for all of us? Don't we struggle with God? And what we find is that God is faithful to us even in our struggle. So Jacob looks up. He's running away from Laban, by the way, because he's stolen all of his flocks by cheating him. So he's running away from Laban, and he looks up, and there's Esau. And Esau's coming with, say it with me, 400 men. This does not look good. So with Laban behind him and, and Esau in front of him, he has only one thing to do, and that's to pray. God saved me. And God does. God does. So Jacob, thinking he's about to be ended, he divides the children among Leah and Rachel, his wives. And he puts the maids with their children in front. Well, that's nice of him. Right? Then Leah with her children. Then Rachel and Joseph last of all because he loves them the most. Hasn't changed much. And then, to be fair, he goes on ahead of them. He bows himself to the ground seven times to his brother. And Esau runs and meets him and he embraces him and he falls on his neck and he kisses him and they weep. Now, I think if you were able to zoom in on this weeping, Esau's weeping because he's gotten his brother back. He's reunited. They're reconciled, and it's beautiful. Jacob is weeping because he's so relieved he thought he was dead. He's just, whew. They're both weeping, but it's about different things. So, friends, as our action steps, what are we going to take away from this? First of all, When it comes to whether we're going to be difficult in our home, first thing we need to do is to manage your energy, right? Friends, this is really important. When your spouse or your child comes home and you say, how are you doing? And they say, I'm exhausted. Believe them. Believe them. What they're telling you is they don't have another thing to give. They don't have another word uh, in them. They don't have another thing. So don't ask them anything of them. If they tell you flat out, I'm exhausted, I'm done, don't push them. Because otherwise, you're going to have a bad Esau moment, right? Where bad stuff, stupid stuff happens, right? So manage your energy, yours, and respect other people. If they tell you they're done, they're done. If someone shows you that they're going to have bad behavior, believe it. Step back. Then, secondly, learn from excellent role models. Many of us have families where we didn't have the families that we would have chosen if we got to go to the bookstore and pick them out. So find some. What does a good brother look like? What does a good sister look like? What does a good dad look like? What does a good grandma look like? What does a good uncle look like? Find one and ask him. What is it that you really love about somebody as you see them be a good uncle to the family? What does that look like? Learn from those role models. And then third, Andy started this last week for us, which is really important, and that's listen. Can you imagine how all these stories would have been very different if Isaac simply would have listened, really listened? And so one of the things we want to lift up to you this week is this, listen for three minutes every day. Really listen. Listen to God. Listen to the people around you. Listen to the world around you. And, and savor the sounds of love and beauty and kindness. One of my favorite things that I get to do is go in my backyard and I close my eyes and I can know by my ears before my eyes whether we have hummingbirds in the yard. It's one of my favorite things to do. I'm like, oh, he's here somewhere. It just, just brings me great joy. Something just as simple as that. And then you have to ask yourself, what kind of listening am I doing? This is really hard for me because sometimes people ask me to listen. And what I think they're asking me to do um, is to, like, jump in and help them fix their problems, which is not what they're asking most of the time. Is your listening active or is it passive? Are they asking you to empathize or or to give them critical feedback? And those are very different kinds of listening, friends. Uh, I may not be the only husband uh, that when our wives ask us, hey... Would you listen to me? And I try to fix the problem that I'm done, like that's the end of me, right? Because we just need to, to hear. Sometimes we just need to process out loud. We need to do these things together. And so these three simple things, say them with me. Manage your energy, learn from excellent role models, and practice your listening skills. These things will really help you deal with difficult people in your home, and it might just help you not be a difficult person in your own home. Amen? Amen? amen all right let's pray Lord God we thank you for this gift that you've shown us that even when we're difficult even when we're off page even when we do things that we know are wrong still you are good because that's your character you are love and your forgiveness and your grace and your kindness and you provide a way out where we see no way out you give us grace and every time of need we thank you for it and we ask Lord Jesus that you would be with us here that you would teach us you'd be in our homes And you'd be with all of our families wherever they are in this moment. And we thank you for it all in Jesus' name who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. In just a moment, we'll be taking up our offering here uh, as a part of service, our way to say thank you to God for all that God's doing. Um, To be fair so that you know this, uh, more than half the people in our church don't give here. They give online. They give on their phones or through their computers uh, or they give through the QR code. And so however you choose to give is great with us uh, and it's great with God. And what we want to do is say thank you for all that God's done for us. But if you're a guest here, we don't want you to feel any obligation or pressure to give. This is our gift to you. Uh, But if you're a part of our community, if you're a part of our family, then we thank you and we appreciate all the generosity that you've shown and continue to show as we bless the world for the very transformation of the world.